Good morning, Gold Avenue Church family and friends. This is Marissa. Uh, we just concluded our Advent series called Jesus Is, and Pastor Jalisa shared with us how Jesus is the light of the world to the Gentiles. We spent time reflecting on the darkness in our lives and in our world, and how Jesus has come to bring light and has called us to be the light. This morning, we're blessed to read and meditate on a story of just how Jesus is a light to the Gentiles in the story of the centurion. We'll read this morning about his amazing faith. And so before we begin, let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We're blessed to focus on the gift of his birth this Christmas season. We praise you as the one true God, the only Lord and Savior, and pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. We ask that you would stir up faith in our hearts to believe that you are who you say you are, and you do what you say you will do. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so this morning I'm going to be reading from Luke 7, 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> and so my sister is a nurse on the progressive care unit at Metro Health Hospital in Byron Center. And she works with some of the most sick patients and in this season, in light of COVID, she's been working with some of the most sick COVID patients and caring for them. And uh, she has shed some light on the realities of hopelessness. Uh, you may recall in the beginning of December, there was an uptick in COVID cases and COVID hospitalizations. And my sister's floor was flooded with some of the most sick COVID patients, uh, the vast majority of whom would end up dying. Um, while many patients do come to the hospital with COVID and have oxygen for a few days and go home, the realities for these patients on my sister's floor is pretty grim. Uh, they continue to have oxygen increase day after day as it's harder and harder to breathe. They receive steroid and antiviral medications. 
to try to keep their body alive and see if there's any chance of healing. But slowly, their organs begin to decline and shut down, and some will be put on a ventilator, and at this point, there's a very slim chance of recovery. And as a nurse, my sister has the responsibility of calling the family members and friends and letting them know that their loved one is coming to the end of their earthly life. And on the other end of the line, these family members are longing for some sort of hope. Did you try everything? Is, is there, is it, in time, will the body just recover? But the reality is that nothing short of a miracle would bring healing to their body. And so in our text, we meet a centurion who is also facing an impossible and difficult circumstance. This wealthy and mid-rank official who bears authority over what they would say a hundred men has come to the end of himself as his servant, his dear servant, is on his deathbed. And now this centurion is not a typical Roman centurion. Rather than treating the Jewish people harshly, he treats them well. Through his years of service, I imagine this centurion gets to know some of the Jews, as he's most likely in charge of regulating the goods as they come in and out of the city of Capernaum. I imagine this centurion overhearing conversations from the Jews as they pass in and out of the city. Maybe he gets to know some of their names and hear about their families. And eventually, they start to open up to him, a Roman centurion. And as he observes them coming in and out of the city, he realizes how dedicated they are to their God and his word, the law. He sees how loving they are to one another and how they're honest, even when it costs them. Eventually, this centurion comes to hear of the God of Israel, the, the holy God who rescued his people from slavery and who brought them to a promised land, of a God who conquered countless kings, a God of angel armies, this God who forgives and performs miracles, and even of a promised Messiah. And while we don't read in our text that this centurion converted to Judaism, it's inferred by most commentators that he is God-fearing, as he loves the Jewish nation and even built them a synagogue. This centurion, who came to fear the Lord, has a servant who is deathly ill. Matthew's account of this event shares that this servant is paralyzed and about to die. And now this centurion doesn't treat his servant harshly, but rather he endears himself to him. Some would even argue that he treats this young man as his own son. And even though we don't know the name of this servant or what he did, we know that he is highly valued by the centurion and that he is about to die. This centurion is faced with an impossible and difficult circumstance. And in many ways, this story mirrors another story that we find in the Bible in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings 5, we find the story of Naaman, this wealthy army commander, and he has come down with leprosy, an incurable skin disease. And he, like the centurion, is desperate for a cure. Like the centurion in our story, his money and fame 
couldn't change his dire situation. Naaman too faced this impossible circumstance, but his response is different, and we'll hear more about that later in the sermon. And so like Naaman and the centurion, we too find ourselves facing impossible and difficult circumstances. Maybe you or someone you know is facing a cancer diagnosis or a brain tumor or chronic pain or maybe an impossible circumstance like a fractured relationship, a loss of purpose and calling or a wayward child. When it comes to a stage four cancer diagnosis or a physical or psychological illness or a hardened heart, we can feel helpless. And we're living in a season where many of us face impossible situations. Some of us haven't been able to see those we love in person in a long time and have been trying to navigate these virtual meetings. Church too has looked different in this season. Many churches are navigating online worship and in-person events are moved to Zoom or even canceled. And so we're left wondering, how does the church go on when things don't look like they used to? We don't know what the body of Christ looks like moving forward. And many are trying to rely on human wisdom and ingenuity and strength and money, but honestly are finding themselves exhausted. It can seem impossible to know how to move forward. And I imagine that this is the hopelessness the centurion faced. His beloved servant is at the end of his earthly life and medicine and money and his human authority can do nothing to change the situation. Each day, his servant's condition continues to worsen and he just watches helplessly. It's in this place of desperation where the centurion finds a glimmer of hope. He's heard about this rabbi, Jesus, who is coming to Capernaum. He is one who taught with authority, who casts out demons, who heals people of all kinds of diseases. And Jews from all over go to him and bring their sick to him and, and he heals them. He does what's impossible. And some Jews even claim he could be the Messiah. This news strikes a chord with the desperate heart of the centurion. And so he asked these Jewish elders if they would bring his request to Jesus. Because he as a Gentile couldn't ask a Jewish rabbi for a request and expect to be heard. And so the Jewish, Jewish elders, they accept his request because he treated them well. And they too are desperate for the centurion servant to be healed and recognize that the clock is ticking. We read in Luke 7, 4 and 5, when they come to Jesus, they plead earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And Jesus goes with them. Why? We're not really sure, though we can note that throughout scripture, God responds to faith and Jesus is attracted to faith. And at this point, 
I imagine the centurion is back at his house with his servant, waiting and wondering if Jesus would come. He looks at the body of his servant who is struggling to breathe. And then he imagines this rabbi, Jesus. Tears start to stream down his face as he thinks about this Jesus, the Jesus who is Lord of all. And he thinks about himself. Sure, he's wealthy, he's well-liked, and he's a man of authority. But there is no way that he deserved to have Jesus come to his house. And in his humility, his heart is strengthened and filled with worship and amazing faith. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, he did in his heart enthrone the Lord Jesus as a captain over all the forces of the world, as the generalissimo of heaven and earth, as in fact the Caesar, the imperial governor of all the forces of the universe. He knows Jesus for who he is. He is Lord of all, and Jesus can do what is impossible. In humility and faith, then, the centurion sends his friends who have been with him to Jesus with this letter. Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus' response is noteworthy. This is one of the few places where Jesus' emotions are recorded, and the other time Jesus is amazed is at the lack of faith of his people. But at this time, he's amazed at the faith, not of a Jew, but of a Gentile. And his statement I have not found such great faith even in Israel is significant. One commentator shares it's like he says, here is faith that should be emulated. Here is trust, confidence, and rest in the authority of God and awareness of his plan. The Jewish nation and all others can learn from this outsider. And so as we compare this to the story of Naaman, it's remarkable Naaman is this proud official who tries to use his earthly authority and power to get his way. And so after hearing about this prophet Elisha in Samaria who could heal him, he makes his way to Elisha's house expecting to be healed. He brings money and gifts because surely a man like him deserves to be healed or at least could afford to pay for his healing. But when he arrives... He isn't greeted by Elisha. He only gets news from Elisha's servant. And his servant doesn't just heal him on the spot, but tells him to wash in the dirty Jordan River seven times. Naaman in his pride is furious at the way he is treated, but eventually complies and in return is completely healed of his leprosy. But Naaman still wants to try to give these gifts to Elisha to somehow still earn or pay for this healing. And so it's in our story here in Luke 7 that we're invited to consider a new version of this story. 
In the Old Testament, this is a negative story of a man who pridefully thinks that he is entitled to healing and tries to use his earthly authority to earn it. Whereas in the New Testament, we are faced with the response of amazing faith of the centurion in the person of Jesus. This centurion who is wealthy and powerful and kind doesn't base his request on anything he has done, but he places all of his faith in Jesus. His response is one of humility and amazing faith as he sees Jesus as the only hope to his dying servant. Jesus honors the faith of the centurion by healing his servant and in turn desires for his people to be strengthened in faith. And just as Jesus does honor the faith of the centurion and longs for his people to be strengthened in faith, Jesus desires for us to grow in our faith and longs to honor it. Like the centurion, we all face impossible situations. Some are personal, others involve those we love, and still others, those we read and hear about. And so what do you do? when you face an impossible situation. Maybe we feel like Naaman, entitled to have our prayers answered the way we want because somehow we're worthy. Even the Jewish elders thought that the centurion was deserving of a favorable response to his request. And it's easy to fall into this trap. But I believe in our text that the Lord is inviting us to respond like the centurion in humility and faith. It's not about entitlement, but about presenting our faith to God. This passage invites us to have amazing faith that reaches out to Jesus saying, You are the Messiah. You are the one who conquered sin, death, and hell. And you have the power to change this world and this situation. You have all power, dominion, and authority. You are the God who did what was impossible, and you still do what is impossible for us to do. And so do we recognize Jesus' authority and desire to respond? If so, what does it look like to reach out an amazing faith like the centurion? As many of us embark in this year of discipleship, I wonder what it would look like for us to respond to Jesus' desire for us to grow in faith. And so I'm going to walk through our six goals for discipleship groups and invite the Holy Spirit to highlight how he might want each one of us to reach out to Jesus in faith. And even if you're not a part of a discipleship group, these are beautiful biblical values that we can all grow in. Many of us desire to abide in Jesus. Like the centurion in this passage, we face impossible situations and decisions and don't know what else to do. We're weary of trying to do it all in our own strength. So what might it look like for us to surrender our pride and control and reach out to Jesus in faith, knowing that he loves us and he is faithful to lead us? And many of us want to be rooted in God's word we see the value of memorizing scripture, but see it as a daunting task as we might not be good at memorizing. 
So what would it look like to reach out to Jesus in faith, asking him for a deep hunger for his word and the ability to memorize his word so that we might be more effective disciple makers? Many of us seek to have Christ-centered relationships. We find it easy to love those who love us or who are like us. But what would it look like for us to love those who are different from us? We can learn from the love the centurion had for his servant and for the Jewish people. He seems to assume the best in people, to seek holiness, and to extend grace in relationships. And so how might we reach out in faith to Jesus to love those who are different from us or who are difficult to love? And many of us want a vibrant and growing prayer life. But if we're honest, it can be difficult to make time to pray or to not have it feel like we're just reciting a list of requests. Like the Jewish elders in our text who bring the centurion's request to Jesus, how might we reach out to Jesus on behalf of those we know and love and on behalf of our church in the world in intercession? Many of us desire to be transformed by the Spirit of Christ. Maybe we've been struggling with a sin pattern or addiction for years, or have been living a life governed by lies from the enemy. Honestly, it might seem impossible to think about transformation. But what would it look like to reach out to Jesus in faith, asking him for help and freedom and transformation by his Spirit? And lastly, many of us long for a spirit-led missional life. We want to step out in faith with the Great Commission to share the gospel and make disciples. But we're afraid. We don't know what to say or are afraid we'll say the wrong thing and ruin a relationship. We also lack courage to talk with people we don't know. Might Jesus be inviting us to reach out to him in faith, that he will give us the words to say. And might we have faith to ask him for opportunities to share the gospel. Church family and friends, as we face these and other impossible situations, imagine the transformation that could take place in our lives, in our church family, and in the world as we put our faith in Jesus the one who is able and the one who alone has all authority in heaven and on earth. Do our prayers and actions reflect this kind of faith? Let's pray. God, as we hear from your word and invite your spirit to stir up faith in our hearts, some of us may be weary from years of what seems like no growth or change. Others of us might be feeling the weight of our current situations. And still others might be feeling like the centurion, ready to surrender our control and our strength and our wisdom before you and cry out to you for help, for faith, for healing, and for change. God, we come to you in Jesus' name and ask that you would pour out your spirit afresh on each one of us, that we might be filled with faith, filled with wisdom, encouraged and strengthened as we trust in you, 
the one who is able, the one whose will will be done and whose kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, strengthen our faith, we pray, in order that you might be lifted high in our lives, in our church, and in our world as the one who is Lord of all. Amen.